Welcome to the Shelf Warmers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, and their connection to bigger topics. I'm your co-host Darby, and tonight we're going to talk about gang run printing. And I'm your co-host Sugu. Join us tonight as we talk about the origins of paper. <laughs> Just grows from the ground. That'd be awesome. Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel Ever the Hero an entertaining debut uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at DarbyHarn. And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on AllAboutJapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Previously on the Shelf Warmers podcast, Darby had mentioned that there is a technique that can single-handedly solve the floppy issues of comics in the publishing industry, right? In in American publishing, and I asked, "What is that technique?" He said, "Gang printing." And I said, "What is that technique? <laughs> I don't know what this is." So tonight, we're going to talk about this method of publishing and how it compares with the other parts. And this is going to be about the manufacturing and the production of, of the physical books. Now, Dar, before we start, are we going all the way back to the trees? And we got to cut the trees down to make paper? Or are we starting a little bit later than that? Well, a little bit later, I guess I'll just preface. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll preface it by saying I'm not an expert in printing, although I've had to be really educate myself as an independent author who is interested in anything remotely resembling print runs. So, I'd like to give some background. So, I I again independent author until just recently that was the, the print side of it was really not my focus because I've been mostly online and as I've branched out into doing shows and cons and things like that you have to have books requires printing well that's POD that's print on demand that's a one way you can do it it's not the only way it's a lifesaver so far as allowing someone like me to do it and then there's Kickstarter especially if you're going to be operating in genres like fantasy or science fiction, those readers tend to like something special, unique, limited, that manifests in things like hardback leather covers, special paper, you know, things like that. Variant covers. Variant covers. Well, now you're getting into not so much POD, although that's part of it, but you're getting into offset print runs, which is you're, you're you're not just going to... POD is print it one book at a time right out of the printer it assembles the book it's magic it's the if you've ever seen one in action i saw one in new york city one time the actual product goes go you know prints it right there makes the book for you oh really cool it's very cool uh the barnes and noble union square uh in new york city actually has one in the shop it will print any book you want for you right there oh wow okay all right very cool that I'm really curious about how that works because we're talking about like you need signatures that are then stitched together that are then glued together. So for the, the POD real quick, um, it's fairly simple compared to what it had been. So maybe we could talk about sort of legacy printing. We might actually talk about it as we get into gang printing or gang run printing. But uh, Black Market Heart, uh, my Kickstarter, probably going to be active when you guys listen to this. So please check it out. We have a link in the description. Uh, this is the proof copy right here. This is POD, was printed print on demand. So it prints the paper, prints the cover, and then it is, there's no stitching. It's just glued. 
oh, uh, okay. to the to the spine, and so it comes out flat, and then it's assembled. It's, it's very complicated, but yet very cool, and um, it's just glued on there, and it is so seamless that you would just never know. So um, you said no stitching. They, are they are they in signatures? Not on POD. No, it, oh, okay. it, it's it it's their digital plates. Uh-huh. Um, you know, whereas in traditional printing, it's plates, ink, and then you're running in, in sheets, which is where gang printing will comes in. But you're running in sheets, which are multiples of four. You guys ever read a book and you're wondering, why are there blank pages at the back? You ever see right. that? You know? Yeah. And that is because uh, they're printed in multiples of four, yeah. the sheets. Uh, and so your book will very rarely will just naturally happen upon a multiple of four in terms of its length, its page count. So you will inevitably end up with uh, blank pages at the back. I try to think about this in printing. It's not a huge deal, but I try to think about this. Um, so my books like Black Market Heart is 320 pages long. So I try to think about that to account for things like that to minimize that because you're wasting paper, which again, we'll come back to in gang printing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the POD thing, it just, it prints it out. And this process can take uh, a minute uh, to print it out. And then it assembles those, the sheets, the multiples of four, and then it, it's a press and then glue, slap it on there. And then as it crunches that sucker and then boom, <laughs> there's your book. It's pretty cool. Uh, oh, wow. and it's, 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 it's seamless. If you guys have ever seen, I was just thinking about this because we were watching, I'm doing research for the novel I'm working on now. So I've been watching, uh, all the, on YouTube, these sort of guys who explore dead malls, like abandoned malls. Okay. And there's a lot of these sort of YouTube adventures who go into these ridiculously huge malls. And I, um, in one of them, I saw something that I, I, uh, I remember from, uh, my childhood in sort of early nineties which is that you would go into the mall and you'd get your picture taken in front of these ridiculous backdrops and things like that. And then there in the 90s, they had something really novel, which was printing the photos right there for you, right? Okay. Well, that actually involved a printing machine, which was about the size of a truck. It was this gigantic developer slash printer yeah. that Canon would make, and it was huge. And that's what the POD machine looks like. It's about the length of a car, small truck. And it, uh, you, but it's digital, and it, 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 so the bottom of it has this huge warehouse of paper, and you input the thing, you select your book and things like that, and then there it goes, whoosh, whoosh, and then, you know, it gets all that printed, and then the assembly part, it's all robotic and all. It's very cool. Yeah, that's 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 in, that that sounds incredible. Like I'm I'm trying to imagine this thing. It's fun. It's it's cool, and then so almost. Well, all of my books actually uh, are printed via POD because, like, so Sugu's lives in Japan, so he orders my books. So I'm not printing those books and shipping them to him. He gets them printed right there uh, from Ingram, uh, originally Amazon, now Ingram, right in uh, Japan because they have a POD machine there. They print it to him, they ship it to him. It's the same as me doing it. It's actually way easier. So, and that allows someone like me to be able to make my books available all over the world and for people like Sugu in Japan to get them. Yeah. And so POD has been a revolution in that way. Sure. Because you're you're basically changing the print run to being anywhere in the world that has a POD machine. Because all you have to do is just shit, send them the digital file. They yeah. do it. And then shipping is only domestic. You don't have to deal with yeah, international. It, it actually undercuts the whole concept of the print and run. There's no run because it's just spot printing. So it's Sugu right, orders right. one copy. Sugu owns the only copy of my books in Japan. I'm fairly certain. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's say there were two. Let's say there were 200 or 2,000. That's possible through POD. So that allows my books to be available because Ingram has printers and distribution all over the world, which of is course. why I'm with Ingram. Um, I can get into any customer's hands, any library, any bookstore, independent bookstore in the world, and I am, and that's a marvel. That's a that's just a miracle of modern technology, um, and that reduces your exposure cost-wise, both to Ingram and to myself. By you're not warehousing yeah, five, right, ten, right. fifty thousand books, right? 
You just need uh, the POD machine and a computer with a large hard drive. Large hard drive and a lot of ink. And uh, the, the, the cartridges on this sucker are also tremendous. It's cool. Not cool. It's, it's scary to think about how much they cost. But <laughs> if you want to do Comic-Cons, if you want to sell books at Comic-Cons or, or things like that, um, or a Kickstarter that does any kind of special anything, then you start to think about, well, I need more books. So I can print books from Ingram to sell at Comic-Cons, and that's POD. But the conversation, and that leads to things like having boxes down in the spare bedroom of books, which is something I never wanted to do. So I don't have, as some people, like the horror story back when I was younger, when we were in college and people would talk about vanity publishing or self-publishing back then, they're like, well, I have a garage full of these books. And like, yeah, I don't ever, I don't ever want that. We saw this in Loki with the uh, Aurora. Yeah, <laughs> Kihu Kwan, uh, his character, Obi, in the one timeline was a science fiction author who had his, uh, was at his lab or his workshop or something, was full of his, in the 90s, his self-published science fiction novel. And then his ground game was so awesome that he was selling his own book to himself in bookstore. <laughs> um, so that was like the fear because like, I, you, you don't want to do, that's not economically feasible. Like sure. I, I've known people, I've known people growing up who did this and then they have 10,000 books in their garage or in their basement and then you sort of contemplate things like you know how do you sell why so i don't have to do that but i do have a couple boxes in the down the stairs in the spare bedroom which just for me personally leads to this agitation of like oh my god and but then you know hopefully your your uh, partner reminds you you know like actually you know this is three boxes less than it was yesterday so um so that's good. But it does lead to things like you then start to think of the economics of something like this or so something like Kickstarter, where I contemplated in the early uh, sort of uh, planning stages for Black Market Heart, I contemplated doing one of these limited edition covers and hardbacks and things like that that folks are doing. And then I realized that really what it, the cost to that are extreme. And we'll probably talk about that. Um, the practical requirements require you to have a basement or garage full of books then. Um, and then, um, also I'm nobody. So I just wanted to focus for my first Kickstarter. I just wanted to focus on the book. I didn't want to get too crazy. I kept whittling down. I had a lot of ideas. I studied a lot of different things. I watched what a lot of other people were doing and doing it well, but I was like, I just want to focus on the book. So the Kickstarter kept shrinking to just the book and the bells and whistles are, are pretty, they're not anything really compared to what other people are doing. I want to build to that. I sort of have ideas in particular. Uh, 2025 is the fifth anniversary for Ever the Hero. And I think that is going to be my opportunity to do something special like that for Kickstarter. Um, maybe spoilers, say sort of like, you know, hardback leather, special edition, limited something of Ever the Hero for the anniversary. But I want to build towards that. I want to, and you know. Um, but that will require me then doing an offset print run of what will probably be thousands of copies to justify doing that. Um, and that will be expensive and that will also mean that I will need to be able to sell those because if I don't, oh dear. So are we at the point where you're going to explain what offset print run it means? Yes. So offset print run is so the publishers, uh, the houses do large scale printing, obviously. So when you, when you read something like, you know, the Brandon Sanderson sold 800,000 copies this week, that's a lot of books, right? Yes. That is, uh, a lot of books. Um, <laughs> it, it's sort of incomprehensible. Offset printing is sort of smaller runs, but it's the same idea. It's just smaller, but like, the, but instead of POD, where it's digital, so offset is where we go back to the idea of the metal plates. And then, so you're printing on the plates, which means you have to create the plates and you have to really buy the plates, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Black, mark, black Market Heart. So there are no plates, but uh, this has to do with comic books too, which we'll talk about. Sugu probably understands this part of it. Um, you have to make those plates. And then the plates then, because they cost so much, you have to justify their cost. You have to print 
a fair amount of copies and that sure. can depend on that can depend on the cost um let's say it's 5000 copies so you're doing an offset print resin 5000 copies that's a lot of copies um and then you are and then depending if it's just a paperback traditional paperback like the one I've been holding up during this episode um, that can cost anywhere from six dollars at the high end to the more copies you print it can go down that can get as low as four dollars but when you do things like leather bound when you do things like stitching when you do things like um, you know high quality uh, color paper now you're talking 12 15 25 dollars on the high end um, so to get those costs down that requires printing even more so yep. here's where your Brandon Sanderson of the world with his Kickstarter that he did for the four secret books and those limited editions, because he was printing something like 150,000 copies of each of those books. His cost to him, to those books, was probably, let's, let's say $10 a book that he sold for, um, 70, I think it was $75 a piece. Um, still, that's 150,000 books at $10 a pop. Yeah. He's making bank. He's making bank, but his his investment into that was about a million dollars. Okay, gotcha. And he also has a warehouse, literally, <laughs> that that he stores his shit in. So, but he built to that, and then obviously, but I can't do that. I don't even have a garage, so my options on that are limited. So I have to, and I have no intent of owning a warehouse or being Brandon Sanderson. So. Yeah. So, this offset printing then. This is like a small scale version of what the publishing houses do, the large scale printing. Yeah, because the houses, I assume, because they're always publishing books and then they're always publishing legacy books that are books that never go out of print, right? Yeah. So they're purchase they're purchasing those plates and then they're running copies that are far in excess of which they sell. Sure. But they're they're printing them and then they're warehousing them to do various things with one to sell in next year, yeah. Uh, to dump in liquidation stores to write off on their taxes. There's a lot going on there. Really, they're selling books. Don't get me wrong, but they're printing books to sit on for some length of time. Right, right. So offset printing, because it seems to me that print on demand is just a much more economic model for almost every single case it is and it isn't because what happens with print on demand is is you can print i can pod five thousand copies but that price per copy never goes down oh okay yeah so now we get into because you're doing each one individually as opposed to making the plates and then separating that cost out over the sheets yeah yeah so where the gang run printing comes in is that you do in a nutshell. Um, so it, it it's multi. So the way to think about it is is that it's we'll go back to the sheets. Uh, so to avoid because the, the multiples of four, which means you get blank pages, which means if when you print those ridiculous copies, five thousand, ten thousand copies, that means you're not just wasting a page in a book two pages in a book you're wasting thousands of pages yeah right because sure. what all is gang multiplying. run yep okay. yep well, gang run printing then seeks to combine numerous different printing book different books on the same sheets right to run at the same time to minimize paper waste okay. and to reduce cost so you're printing them on the same so for example um, I have this is book four in the Eververse. Let's say I want to print all four books. So right now, POD, I'm doing it each book individually. Yeah. Gang run printing would allow me to print probably not all four, but let's say three of them on the same sheet, sheets plural, that would um, uh, reduce the, the the cost per book to f- about half of what I'm paying right now. So basically, um, like when let's say for example, just to keep the numbers even or keep the numbers easy book one is 175 pages book two is 169 pages so in putting them together it would go book one page 175 and then the next page on the sheet would be book two page one yes okay and you're running them and then you're cutting them 
and then you're covering them and you're gluing them. And um, because you're running them on the same sheet, the cost to the printer goes down significantly because you're not paying, you're not uh, paying for multiple runs. You're not pissing away a lot of paper, right? Uh, you're not you're not wasting production or anything like that. So for folks in the indie space like me, and as it comes to things like Kickstarter and selling at these shows and things like that, uh, and this does have to do with comic books. So your original sort of question about like, how does this have to do with comic books? Um, what that allows you to do then is to run numerous things on that same sheet, on the same plate, and to do that maybe a couple times, and then uh, to run that cost way down, as down as far as low as you can get it. Um, st you're still paying, uh, but you're you know to get it lower than you can for POD, um, and then it also allows you because the interiors are the same, it allows you then to do things like I with Black Market Heart. Um, to because the interior doesn't change between the paperback and the hardcover, or let's say I did a leather-bound limited edition, the interiors are all the same. I can run all of those editions on the same sheet, and just and then cut them and just have them covered in their different editions. And so my actual price per book for that leather-bound hardcover foil stamped edition isn't twenty-five dollars; it's two dollars. Right, because probably... you're you're. So, does that mean that? Because in your previous example, you were talking about printing books, all, all three of your books together in one gang. But what if yeah. you used book four multiple times? Yeah, there's different ways to think about it. You can get really crazy with this. Like, so I could print all my books, all my books on the same sheet or sheets, depending on how it graphs out. You can print numerous editions of the same book on the same sheet. Uh -huh. Um things like that you can combine different authors on the same sheet a couple people can team up together right you can combine your resources and then instead of me paying twenty five thousand dollars for some exorbitant print run now i'm paying ten thousand dollars your man is paying ten thousand dollars right and then we're both we're out ten thousand dollars but we're actually our profit margin just went way up yeah because sure. we combined we combined our resources and we're minimizing our costs as much as we can but I imagine you're also like heavily increasing the labor, right? And to keep all the pages straight, to make sure that pages don't kind of float in to where they're not supposed to be. Well, you get into certainly, and I've had things. I had uh, last year when I printed some copies for the cons, I had a couple copies of The Judgment of Valine where they printed the last two chapters at the front of the book. And I didn't know it until some people were buying from me in Des Moines and I opened the book to sign it. And like, I was like, what the fuck is that? Right. And I, I've come to find out that I think there's like two or three. So we put them in the scratch and dent. But, um, you so that can sold happen. them as like super rare collectible errors, like the upside down airplane I, stamp. I was told to, I was told to mark them up, not mark them down. <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's like, um, it's good to have somebody mercenary in your corner. Um, <laughs> um, uh, I did actually sell one of them. I sold one of them in Davenport to a, uh, for a discount. Uh, but that can happen. So now you get into to so to your point. So when you start getting into this stuff, is this has required me to really educate myself on something I don't know anything about. Uh, the printing process and everything's that go in learning and learning things like I had somebody ask me, so Darby, what's the face of your book? And I'm like, well, it's your man. It's the interdictor. Like, no, it, the face of the book is actually this thing right here. It's what we most of us call the edge of the book. So this is the spine. Yeah. This is the face. <laughs> okay. Oh. Good to know. So, um, uh, so wait. So in clockwise order. Yeah. It goes spine, front cover face yep. back cover back cover okay so the covers are still kept that that language yeah so it's a lot there's a lot of terminology yeah uh i've gotten i've gotten it wrong a few times because there's a lot to learn and so gang printing or gang run printing you can use either one is something i confused early on uh for something else but what it is is basically what we've been talking about and so as it relates to an independent author trying to print books at as at, at lowest cost as you can to facilitate the ability to do this, 
or comic book publishers, either on Kickstarter, independent comic book publishers on Kickstarter, or just or not on Kickstarter. And then also Marvel and DC. This allows them to uh, run numerous. What the comic books are doing is they're running num the same comic on the same sheet, and they're printing it with like all these different variant covers, like eight, nine, ten different variant covers, and yep. their cost per book is really low. And those the cost of those variant covers that they're selling in the shops is sky high. Right. So you and this is so classic. I'm doing it in the Kickstarter. Uh, just to be completely transparent, it's you know your the book is the same as a you know ebook paperback hardcover. The cost goes up. the The cost to me to make that book goes up, but the but the the but your profit margin also goes up. Just to be completely honest. Sure. And yeah. You know, so uh, it has to, or else I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes sense, right? But then in the yeah. collected editions of the comics, you're getting all of the variant covers anyway. Ah, uh, here we go. So, <laughs> um, so uh, I talked about in our should we talked about my experience in Davenport. And Davenport was the first show where I had the omnibus. I don't have one handy because I sold them all. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, congratulations! Of the Eververse books one through three. This might be a good. Uh, that was POD. But I want to talk about this maybe as, as it relates to your question about um, the gang run printing. So to print books one, two, and three of the Eververse individually costs about $6 each. So that's about $18 combined. Um, it cost me about $10 to print the Omnibus. So you can buy the individual books for $45 for me at the shows, which is a discount from retail. I'm giving you guys a deal if you buy it. So I'm making profit. I'm about doubling my money a little bit. Okay. Um, uh, the omnibus I sell for forty, which is cheaper still, but the profit margin is way higher, right? So this is true of uh, the collected editions of the uh, comic books, which is why there's so many and why the publishers have been pushing them. One, they're good; they're easy to read, and you want you want the collect you know you want to be able to read some of the the Watchmen uh, together like that. But um, also, they're insanely profitable. Right. Uh, especially as it comes to things like The Watchmen, which is a book which has paid for itself 16 million times over. So that was profitable in 1987. Uh, Watchmen, one of the most profitable comic books in the history of uh, and publishing. And it's still in print. It will never go out of print, which is why Alan Moore is upset, because the rights, a real quick detour, uh, Alan Moore's agreement with DC was that the rights, he the only reason he did it was because the rights were to revert to him and Dave Gibbons upon it going out of print, which he assumed in 1986 was inevitable because he was making this weird little comic book that was attached to nothing. Guess what? Uh, it's never gone out of print. He feels DC misled him, and, and, and obviously because Watchmen is one of the, their biggest moneymaker, frankly, besides Batman. It will never go, unfortunately, for Alan Moore. And I, I just want to say, I, he should have that. That book belongs to him. That was his agreement. Him and Dave Gibbons, they own that book. DC should honor that in some way. But DC also has to deal with the fact that this is one of the landmark books, and it will never go out of print. Economically, it's just not going to ever, never going to happen. So, um, so he's that's okay. Alan Moore yeah. doesn't have doesn't get any royalties from the watch he does he does okay all right but he doesn't own it outright which was the agreement okay okay yeah and that's sad for him and dave gibbons because they should own it it's their creation um if dc wanted to do something they could and this is on dc they could offer some sort of co-managed or co-ownership but they're not going to do that because watchmen makes them uh, too much money it makes them too much money. It, it's the, it's like I said, it's one of the most profitable books of all time. It's per perennial book. Um, but so the omnibus, the trades, the collections, um, that's where your real profit lies. Uh, your individual, your individual cost for the floppy as it is for the paperback is high because it's individual. Um, those costs go down the more you run. So back in the day in the comic books, when you're printing a million copies of something that cost per book was really low. Um, that's not true today, which is one reason why the costs have gone up uh, for the individual comic book issues. So they're imperiled by that because people don't want to pay $9.99 for a single issue when you can pay $15 for a collected 
yeah, uh, right, of six right. or seven, right? And then for me, it's easier to ship the collected edition over rather than trying to, to ship the floppies over. Yeah, and, and so the, the models are just shifted, but they're clinging to the floppy, and then but the, but the economics force you into, um, as they have me, those, into thinking about, you have to start thinking about strategizing. So like for 2024, I'm gonna do a lot of cons, knock on wood, hopefully I'm able to this year. I plan to do it last year. But I had to start thinking because um, I ordered books for last year. Uh, I'm now at the point where I need to reorder because <laughs> I I burned through a lot, the, most of my stock or, or all of my stock in some cases, like the omnibus. Um, and I need to reorder. So then it becomes like, well, you just do POD, you reorder from Ingram and um, like that. But then as you're talking, you're talking with other authors who are doing this and you're looking at the landscape and you're studying all this and you're studying Kickstarter and methods and productions and things like that at the same time, you realize your real, the real benefit, if you're gonna be doing something which is what I would like to do, which is to, to sell these, you need to order a lot of books to cover a longer spread mm -hmm. like that, which is going back to the garage thing, which is terrifying, but with the, with the, the gang run printing and things like that, what that, the possibility then is that you can do that at a cheaper investment than back in the day, back in the 90s, Kihu Kwan and Loki probably spent, right, those folks back then spent a sickening amount of money to get that garage full of books. I still, I spent a lot of money, but it wouldn't be as much. And then also I know um, from the shows and, and online and all those things that I'm doing that, that, that those, they won't necessarily sit there. You'll have some sitting there because you, you know, it, 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 you have to sell it down. But the economics of doing that, of filling up a storage unit, a spare bedroom, a garage or a basement with some amount of books uh, makes sense. It's terrifying. It is uh, also very, very lucrative if you yeah. can pull it off. And it's an, in, in its own way, you kind of become your own storefront then, right? Because you have product that you could sell at any given moment. It, you're becoming a storefront. And then this is where the trick happens in the thinking about this these days. Because everybody is a storefront. Everybody has an Etsy page. Everybody has a TikTok shop. Everything like this. So I know a lot of people who do hair in town. <laughs> don't have any but somehow i know all these people who <laughs> do hair um they, they advertise us <laughs> they trust me they they're like he knows hair i wish i do al has will tell you i'm obsessed with hair but um the <laughs> they they sell like on instagram and tiktok and things like that and like products and then also make appointments and things like that but etsy like jewelry you name it, like things like that. So what I'm actually doing with the books is actually no different from any of that. So people don't even bat their eyes at it anymore. You know, just a few years ago, people are like, you know, oh my God, you're me printing your own books. You know, but like now it's just, it's just whatever. It's the same idea. It's right. scary to me because I'm carrying around a lot of baggage from growing up uh, and going through college and this whole thing where I'm just, I'm, I'm Before a, I'm a post. Yeah, I, you know, I have a, you know, I'm carrying around a lot of sort of uh, uh, perceptions and, and thoughts and things like that that predate all of this. But for people who are new to it right now, this is like what literally whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm also very slow on this. I'm also scaling. So one thing I'm not doing, this isn't really a, a knock against anybody, but one thing that happened that's happened in, in the indie publishing the last several years, there's a lot of chasing tires. And there's a lot of people chasing a lot of trends, TikTok, things like that. Uh, Kickstarters, when people are like, well, you're just doing a Kickstarter because Brandon Sanderson did. Um, sure, sure I am. But this is also something I wanted to do. I wanted to do this with Ever the Hero. I think I talked about this at some point on the pod. I wanted to do it. I was never in position to do it until now. And But everything's been about, you know, the most important thing to me, and it should be to any writer out there, is is, is the book. So I needed to be able to write a book, which is a problem for me for a while. I needed to be able to print that book. That book needed to be good. I needed to be able to do it again. And then I needed to be have a platform to do that to transition from there to having books, because you can't just set up a, t you can, you shouldn't, set up a table <laughs> at a Comic-Con with one book. Don't do that. 
or well, set up we'll a table it. at a Comic Con with the POD machines uh, behind you. Shouldn't you could do, do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. You could. Um, but so I, I needed to do that. So I needed to learn how the cons. And so that was 2022 was studying the cons. 2023 was studying Kickstarter. 2024 is going to be something else. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. 2025 will be something else again. And then I'm going to get to a point where a lot of people are right now where they're doing all the things right at the same time. And they're not doing any of them well because mm-hmm. they just rushed into them. Well, I need to do a Kickstarter because Brandon did. I need to do I need I need to have a Patreon because everybody has a Patreon. I need to name it right whatever yeah, the I need yeah. to have a TikTok page. I created a TikTok page to do it and I just I don't have any facility for it. Sure. There's no I, I'm not that person. So I don't I don't I don't do anything with it. And I'm not going to do things that I'm not good at. I'm going to study what do I need to do? I need to write really good books. I want to That's my main concern. I want to write really good books. You're like, "Oh, you're a writer." Yeah, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to sell those books. I want to share those books with people. That means not just sitting in my uh, office all day writing them and, and going on Twitter once a day and being like, hashtag nobody likes me. It means getting <laughs> my books in front of people, right? I have to do it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, I have to do it. Kickstarter is another way, things like that. So I have to learn those things. I want to learn those things. I want to be good at it. I'm not just going to show up at a Comic-Con and be like, buy my book and be terrible at it. I'm going to study, watch, wait, be like the lion, watch, study, then attack. And so that's my method. So I'm going to get, I'm getting to the point now where though, where you're, I'm, I'm starting to realize that between Kickstarter, between cons, things like that, I probably need to be thinking more in this space of, uh, do I need to have inventory around? Mm-hmm. Terrifies me, but there are economical ways of doing it. So I'm learning about that. Um, I'm not really in position to do that right now. I'm going to be on the other side of this Kickstarter where, and the, I have a couple shows in the spring, um, between those and the Kickstarter, that should wipe me out as far as my inventory that I have on now, which is very minimal right now. Okay. Um, so I will need to consider something like this. Am I going to continue going through 24, just PODing it as I go? Or am I going to get, am I going to try this and I'm going to try to, you know, do a do a run and and get uh, some amount of books and then to minimize those costs to have that to sell through 24 into next year, knowing that this is my long term strategy, probably economically, that's what I need to do. It's scary, though, because for a lot of reasons. And so one reason I'm scared by it is because the things I've talked about is sort of carrying around these sort of thoughts about it that no longer apply. I originally meant to do in 23 a lot of shows, and I didn't because my mother had some health issues, and that wiped me out mm-hmm. uh, from doing any shows. And so anything can happen and does. I have a lot of things that go that stack up against me in some of these things. So those are the things you think about. Um, it's also expensive. And um, even though the costs are, are lower than they were, it's still a huge expense. You're taking a huge risk. Sure. And... Um, um, and then when you start thinking, you go from like, you know, as I started to explore this idea and and think about it and talk about it, you go from thinking like 2024 is going to be profitability and sustainability to understanding that, that, okay, if you do a print run, if you do a gang run print run, your profitability for 24 is gone. I gotcha. might be able to do it. I might be able to, to make that money back and make profit by doing shows and things like that. The reality is, is that I'm probably just going back in the hole for 24 right. another operational loss with the hope that 2025 you'd make that money back it or that the shows really turn over and i've had people ben wolf chris schmidt these are local authors that i've gotten to know that uh ben wolf he's so transparent with all this stuff benwolf.com guys if you want to check him out Ben Ben Wolf has made in 2023 made some somewhere north of fifty thousand dollars profit after expenses doing everything I just talked about. Ben is a really great guy. He's really helpful to me. He's really um, transparent and open and um, just yeah, just a good guy. And he's a model in a lot of ways. He's sort of doing things that I'm I'm not really geared towards, but. 
he does the this the this, this, all the the printing stuff we're talking about is what he's doing and then he did that and then like i said he made 50 grand and he's very open about that and that to make fifty thousand dollars profit selling books at comic cons and in shopping malls that's the uh, dream ben was with me and it is it, it, yeah he was uh, with me in davenport in december is that guys i'm here to tell you is a staggering amount of books it is greater than 95% of any traditional books print run. Okay, wow. I can tell you that. I can tell you that from personal experience and insight. 95% of traditionally published books will never sniff $50,000 profit. Yeah. In sure. their life. And he did it in one year. One year. He also, he was very open, and his first year he sold books at cons, it was 2018, and he made $500 that year, and I told him that Saturday at Davenport, he's like, I made, I made $500 today. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was just like, yeah, man, it's like I've seen your books all day, so. Yeah, you're on um, your way. You're on your way, but uh, I I made I, I have, I've had, good, I did a few shows last year, I had really good shows, and that is in large part due to uh, studying Ben Wolf in particular because I saw Ben for the first time in 2021 and I was with my brother we were at a comic con in Des Moines and he's like why aren't you doing this so I got to know Ben Wolf yeah so thank you Ben for being a really good guy now just to double check wolf as in standard animal spelling w-o-l-f yeah and he's the guy then who run who wrote the dino adventures yeah that was his what did I do? I knocked something over. Uh, that was his first Kickstarter. And there's a unicorn in my basement? Yes. Okay. Ben. All right. So I'm, I'm at the right page. He is uh, uh, local, and uh, he is very successful. Uh, he has um, he's sort of a different philosophy and strategy to some things than I do, but that doesn't matter. What matters is, is that you can learn from each other and yeah. you can help each other and there he the biggest lesson he's taught me is that uh i can do this it's not ridiculous not only can i do it i can do it really well sure okay so um i, I want to come back real quickly to the pod books themselves compared with the gang printing books yeah do you have any books that are the same book, but one done in POD and one done as uh, gang printing. Not that I, not that I'm aware of. No. Okay, because I'm wondering so like what I, the feel of it would be or the quality—not quality, but like how would they yeah. differ physically? It's a great question. These are questions I had because I, you know, the first thing you hear is Darby. It will only cost you two dollars to print your book, and I'm like, yeah. And then I'm like, what will it look like? Right. Um, right. Because I'm, I'm a, Sugu knows this, I'm a stickler when it comes to quality. Um, it can't just look like, it, it can't just look like anything. It has to look really good for me. And so my books look a little bit different from a lot of the books, self-published books you'll see at the on the bookshelf or certainly at the cons. One thing I see a lot is that some, frankly, complete, at least we're completely honest. We're being honest today. I see a lot of books that look like they're printed at their, at home in their inkjet printer. You know what I mean? Uh-huh photocopier it's a thin white paper you can see through yeah things yep. like that so like all my books are printed uh so far are printed in the sort of you can do matte or glossy on the covers and i do matte yep uh i prefer that it has a great feel i remember this one girl came up in des moines and she grabbed the cover stargun messenger and she was like it's so soft it's like it is it's ridiculously soft <laughs> um and then uh 50 pound uh cream i just like it i like the look of it um, it's more expensive uh, than some options, but I choose to do that because it looks good. Mm-hmm. And when people pick up your book in the bookstore or at the Comic-Con, uh, it feels and looks different. And then right away, it connotes quality, right? Um, so you worry about so I just, those questions. So depending on the printer and the facilities and the options, you'll have all those options at your, at your good printers, cream paper, ground wood, uh, color black and white heavy thick uh, well, what's the name of it I forget there's a particular name for the thicker stock um, uh, matte 
uh, glossy. Spot varnish is something I've really wanted to do, but not everybody does it, and it's expensive. Um, what is spot varnish? Yeah, so spot varnish is um, the cover is matte, but like elements of it are oh, var- okay. are okay. gloss. So yep. like let's say the interdictor, it would just be him would be glossy and it would to have that sort of pop. Not to uh, derail it too much, but I see that on the official Transformers masterpiece boxes that I get. Yeah, you see it a lot. It's very effective when done right. Um, I like it a lot. You see it a lot in traditionally published books, and I want to do it. I will do it at some point. Um, um, but it's it's not every Ingram doesn't do it. So to to do it, I would have to go outside them, and that would mean uh, an offset run. That would mean X amount of copies, and so your your justifications for doing it are, are low. Outside of something like Kickstarter, where then you're selling something in particular to an audience which is primed for that, you're still buying those books, though. You're still making that investment. Uh, So it's always a risk. It's always a gamble. But for someone like me, it makes sense financially and audience-wise to start small and then build up to doing things like that. You can't just barrel in and be like, I'm going to do Brandon. I'm going to do four hardcover, super expensive deluxe editions. And then sink half a million dollars into product that you can't sell because no one knows who you are. (laughs) Right, right. You know, you know, I my first Kickstarter, Black Market Heart, it's going to be modest. Um, It's going to be successful. It's going to be modestly successful. I I already know this. I'm excited about it. It's not going to be a blockbuster. What it's going to do, though, is it's going to it's going to give me an opportunity to get in front of new readers. backers things like that that's going to then allow me to go into the next one and hopefully we're going to just continue building together and then maybe next year for 25 like i said earlier i think forever the hero that will maybe give me an opportunity to do something special for that is what i'd really like to do mm-hmm. um but that's that's you're building towards that yeah of course like uh in the acting world you hear about like it, it's kind of this point of gossip like hey this famous actor now was in this old tv commercial way back when right like they're starting small they're building a portfolio this is why for example schooling is so important because it gives you that chance to try all these different things and just kind of build product ahead of time yeah, you, you have to – we're so impatient today. Everything has to happen right now. Indie publishing is great, but indie publishing suffers from the same things that every every other industry and every other aspect of culture does today, which is people want it right now. Mm-hmm. And so they want to be rich right now, and they want to be famous right now. And they see people making money, like real money. I just said Ben Wolf made $50,000 last year profit. And so for some people who hear that, you're like, no, I, I can do, do that. that. I can do, and you can, but they're like, I want to do that right now. So what's stopping me from, in 2024, making $50,000 in profit? There's a few things stopping Darby from doing it. Um, one is, is that I don't have, um, what Ben has that, that Brandon Sanderson has is infrastructure. Mm. I don't have any of that. I right. have boxes, of, a few boxes of books in the spare bedroom. Um, so I'm not there, but so people don't want to scale. They don't want to build. They don't want to put in. They don't want to put in the hard work, which some days is standing behind the table and no one's buying your book. Some days nobody buys anything off Amazon. Um, uh, some days no, you know, what they don't they don't want to do it. They just want it right now. And I've seen that. I've seen that at the shows. People uh-huh. they're just like, well, just I just I'm here. I'm here. I like let's go, you know, and like I and then they they're like, well, what are the trends? What's TikTok? I had somebody tell me like, you need to get on TikTok, Darby. TikTok, you'd be a millionaire. I'm like, hey, babe, you and I are not going to be millionaires with TikTok. I'm here to tell. I want to tell you right now, this is an intervention. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's not going. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chat GPT, Sugu, AI. You got all these people out here that are like, well, AI is the future. Chat GPT, and Chat GPT will write me a book today and i will publish that and then you need to you need to, to do a, no i'm not going to do that no um, no of course not but yeah so like um infrastructure is everything 
you've got to be able to like we've talked about this before on other episodes you've got to build at your level like you can't go beyond that right like it it won't work you'll collapse it's how you go into debt it's how you burn yourself out it's how you get to doing a comic book convention and you get there and you don't have any signage you don't have anything to identify yourself you don't have a business card i went to austin i think i mentioned this on the pod once i went to austin film festival i was the only person there who didn't have a business card i was dumb it also didn't occur to me but um but like i've seen i've seen all the mistakes i've made mistakes that's how i'm learning but i also knew because i spent time studying people so i was going to the comic book shows anyway because i'm a comic book guy and so I was seeing, and I started to see Ben, I started to see Chris, I started to see Jerry, and, uh, you know, I was like, wait a minute here. Um, you know, and then, but I spent time watching what they were doing, and then, and then learning more about it, and then understand, not just that, and but here's the thing that people get tripped up on, I think. This is sort of veering from printing into do's and don'ts on selling, so I don't want to. I don't want to get down the track, but it's not just learning what other people are doing, and because you can't just go replicate it. Yeah. Because the thing that people forget is is the you is the, that part of it. So what Ben is doing is and and Chris and Jerry is all extremely instructive to me to help me sell my books, to do what I want to do. I don't want to do what Ben is doing or Chris is doing, or Jerry is doing necessarily, mm-hmm. right? We all have things in common. But you know what I mean? I want people to find my books, and I want to share my books, and that means doing things my way using the tools uh, and expertise that I've learned from other people. And so um, I've known that with every aspect of publishing that I've gone into, which is why my career sort of, I, I you know, I, you sort of get left behind, frankly, you get forgotten, and then you're also on this grade that does this. And then, you know, people, you know, you're not a meteor, you're not a rocket, anything. And I, I've never been, so I, I don't worry about that. Um, but you learn, you study, you learn, and then you put into practice, you make mistakes, you learn from those, and then you get something like happened in Davenport where you realize, oh, yeah, this is, this is actually going to work. You know, yeah, in I a way, in a really strange and convoluted way, it reminds me of Sinead O'Connor, strangely enough. Um, mm. Which, hey, Sinead. we talked about Sinead O'Connor, so check out that episode. But I had just recently learned that uh, in an interview post-Catholic Pope picture ripping event um, that she was <laughs> asked, something about how that sunk her career yeah and you probably know this quote better than i do but she said something like i didn't ruin my career the guy the the guy who wants to buy the house in this really expensive area i ruined his career the guy who's going to make money off of my album his career is ruined my career my strong suit and my career what i want to do is perform live and I'm going to keep doing that. She did what she wanted to do. Sinead O'Connor, 25 year old, 25 years old, as she's saying that displaying extraordinary insight into an industry, which was already exploiting her. Right. Um, she possessed extraordinary insight into what was that. We won't relitigate it, but what was happening with the Catholic church to the point that she was good 20 years in front of it. Uh, you have to know what you want and who you are and say I we did, yeah I listened to our Sinead episode and I talked about what Sinead meant to me um, as an artist and I think what part of what separates me from other writers and people who are doing this is that I, Sinead wouldn't have been above selling her wares at a comic book convention but she would have been the show at a comic book convention because she she would have been condemning something <laughs> at the same time she was selling your you know her shit and it would have been glorious i just want to say real quick to r.i.p shane mcgowan who died a couple weeks ago uh frontman for the pogues and uh legendary irishman 
rock singer. He and Sinead did a couple great all-time classic duets. And it's just been a bad year for Ireland and Irish music, man. Um, but Sinead is always an inspiration for me in every way because she went her own way. And, and I think I always knew I was going to do that somehow. There are a lot of people doing what I'm doing. But just to go back to my point is I want to do it my way and how I'm going to do it. So I'm going to write books that are just a little bit like it kind of seems familiar, but it's like, oh, OK, it's not. But I can sell those books and then because I can speak the because I'm a nerd, I'm a geek, I'm a reader. I can speak that language. I'm not interested in trying to sell you something. We talked about this last week or the week before. Simon Sinek, mm -hmm. what is your why? Why? Yeah. why? So I'm really good with the why. I'm not necessarily good with the what. And the people bounce off the what anyway. Um, so all this to go back to the printing maybe is just to say, you know, it, it's knowing, it's learn. You have to learn about it. And so I'm doing that. I'm like, really, I'm learning a lot about printing right now. Um, because one thing... I wanted to do a Kickstarter for Ever the Hero. This is 2019. I immediately realized that I uh, am in deep water and I can't swim. I So I ignore that. I, the COVID uh, restrictions loosen 2021. I'm going to the comic book shows. I see Ben. I see Chris. And I want to do this. I want. I immediately know that I the water's too deep. I can't swim. 2022 is studying that. Um, same thing with Kickstarter. It, it's you know, all of this. And then it's also realizing that there's some books you're not ready to write yet. Mm -hmm. So I, there's a book I've been trying to write now for a while, a murder mystery. And you're like, well, Darby, you're a Scorpio. You love murder mysteries. That should be a slam dunk. Well, it should be, but it, it's, I'm not there yet for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you put, you, you put that off to the side just for a minute. You let it marinate. Um, but, um, yeah, so learning about it, I love to learn about it, I, you know, and then it, and understanding what my limits are, what my potential is, and then seeing how this can help me. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to realize as opportunities, more and more opportunities come my way for things like this, um, uh, that I probably need to take advantage of them. I need to take a risk. I need to take a, a bet on myself a little bit. And that's scary, but um, um, but I'm also um, I also know I'm really on the right track too. I've got some reviews have come in early reviews for Black Market Heart, and uh, you know it's just very you know some days are bad, like I said, but you know it's also very rewarding and gratifying and assuring to know that you're on the right track, and yeah. that um, you know and that you didn't spend two years writing a book that. People are like, I don't know what this is. What is this? But people read this book, and I've had the com the most common comment uh, for Black Market Heart so far is that people are reading it like in a day or two days, and they can't put it down. Oh wow! Um, so that is uh, that's really gratifying. Uh, it also uh, it also it's, it's affirming because um, uh, this is a story that uh, I think is I, th I think is going to be fine. I think it's going to be just fine, and I it, you know my my purpose and uh my the risk i took in writing it is going to pay off to some extent so um but yeah i i'm i'm really i love that and i love that people are into the book and that you know um it's a book that i can't wait to get in front of people for the kickstarter but then also later after that to get to the show is because i know this book is going to crush i mean again being transparent i know it's going to because one thing that <laughs> one thing that happens at the shows i get a lot of people come to the table i have a lot of women on the table on the covers i don't have like dudes and so i get a lot of dudes looking for dudes i don't have dudes well i got their dude now i got a dude <laughs> they they can buy my dude he's a really great introduction to the eververse that's another thing the reviews are pointing out mm -hmm. it's a great jumping on point good introduction you do not have you don't have to have read the first three uh, but you'll want to mm -hmm. after this one, I'm guessing. Okay. But anyway. Cool. Anyway. Awesome. Well, congratulations and good luck. Uh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Next up, we're going to talk about color printing versus black and white. <laughs> oh, man. That I don't know. That is one of those things that's still sort of out in the ether for me. I do know that. Um, color obviously more expensive, duh. But um, like children's books, here's the thing. Look, we'll we'll end on this. Maybe we'll pick it up at some point. Um, children's books are almost because of the color and things like in the way that they sort of work. Uh -huh. 
um, uh, almost necessitate uh, the the gang printing, the offset ones. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, the POD not really, not yeah, really right. an option for them. Right. Yeah. So I've learned that because I've interested in children's books and the possibilities and potential there. I know I know some people who've had Michael Rex on the channel, on the pod, uh, children's book author, and uh, you really, yeah, this is a different That's beast a when it comes to the beast. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, the only thing I can really speak about is because of my work, I've had to do a lot of research into like the cost of ink, but on an industrial scale. And yeah. it's it's insane how much it costs. I'm, I'm thinking like ink is partly made out of unicorn blood, and that's why <laughs> unicorns are so rare because they've all been harvested for the ink. Like it's crazy how expensive it is. It is, which is why one thing that I I you know I'm investing in for the Kickstarter is a thermal printer for the labels. Okay. Because another thing you have to learn about is shipping and labels yep. and. Yep. Thermal print, thermal printing is a great workaround for the ink, and then you wonder, you ask yourself, well, why isn't thermal printing more of a thing in POD or things like that? And those are things I don't understand. I don't, I don't know, and well, so I would like to learn about because isn't thermal printing yeah. susceptible to the elements? I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I, I, I know that it works. I've seen it in action. It does. It, it can. I know it can print a book. But like, what is the, so why hasn't that translate? Is it the, is it the ink mafia that makes sure <laughs> that you're buying ink? I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I have a feeling that that uh, thermal printing, I think in the future of any publishing is probably something that's going to be a factor because just because of the costs. Yeah, sure. But sure. I, but well, I don't, like I said, I don't know enough about it. It's one of those things I want to learn about. Yeah, in my very, very limited experience with thermal printing, it's uh, the paper is extremely susceptible to the elements. Like, if you if you put it next to hot water, like a cup of tea, yeah, you've already ruined the paper. That could be. That could be. And yeah. so, if you're and... shipping, if you wrote a shipping label, and you're sending it, let's say, for example you thermal print uh, my address label. Now it's got to go through Iowa shipping, U.S. shipping, Japan shipping, and then my city shipping. Going through the, the testing and the experimenting and the, just the watching this in practice, the, the thermal printing labels seem to be pretty durable. Okay. So most most of the big... You know, Pitney Bowes and uh, FedEx, all these people, they're all using them okay. and they appear, they get to me okay. And going out, they appear to be okay. But like I said, I'm still in the sort of learning phase on this yeah, one. Yeah. Um, but they appear to do the trick. Um, so, I, and just from a pure cost, economics, things like that, it's a necessity. Yeah, because you're um, not paying for ink, right? At that point. You're not paying for ink, and then also um, the idea that you know if you're going to be printing a lot of labels as as I expect to with the Kickstarter, so I'm going to turn into a little bit of a mailing service with the Kickstarter. Um, it, it, something like that is really is, is uh, beneficial and yeah. and necessary because otherwise you're 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 printing labels off the inkjet printer and but you're you're cutting you're doing all the yeah, tape yeah, and yeah, no, right. no no way no way so right. everybody i i kind of knew this but as i've talked to people and studied a thermal the thermal printer for the labels is what you need and there's you know uh it's an investment a hundred dollars a couple hundred dollars depends on how crazy you want to get mm. but all right well good luck with that and yes, uh, yeah, cheers. Thanks for answering my question. Oh yeah, it's cool. I uh, I'm I like to talk about. It. I wonder you guys can let us know in the feedback. Um, I'd love to know what you guys think about all this stuff. Do you want to hear more of this stuff as relates to you know indie publishing and things like that? I love to talk about it. I love. I increasingly um, I like to share. So I like to learn stuff and then I, I like to share it. So I don't know if people are always into it though. Um, but I know we've had like Mark uh, Sylvester and people like that who are into this kind of stuff. Mark would probably have something to say about all this because he's done 
you know, his books. I, he did a children's book. Um, he's done a comic manga and things like that. So, you know, this is all stuff and that um, I'm fascinated by and that I think is, you know, worth exploring. So. Yeah, absolutely. The mechanics of all of this, of the mechanics of the infrastructure, right, is just fascinating to me. Yeah, me too. And it's there. It's so um, there's there's so much. There's so much here. Yeah. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye.